0: Doctor's Log, May 17th, late at night. I've been away from the pod for a stretch of days, and I don't really have an explanation except that every day has felt busier than the next. But right now, I just thought I would catch up a little bit since I've been away. I wanted to talk about a couple of things related to testing. So, there's a lot of conversations all the time about do we have enough testing? And while the general answer has been no (laughs) and will continue to be no, I also want to explain that that question is a very strange one to answer with a yes or a no, because it's not a binary question. Because there's a number of different tests and there's a number of different reasons and ways that you can deploy those tests. So in general, when we say we need to test somebody for COVID-19, we're talking about the viral RNA PCR test Um, and those tests are the deep swab, the the thing that people are calling the brain biopsy because it is kind of a q-tip that seems to go farther than possible up your nose and that generally has pretty high accuracy but just takes some time to do. We are developing more rapid bedside versions of these tests that can be done in an hour or two or even in well under an hour. There's also development of antigen tests, and those, I think, are going to be more available as time goes on. There's this race to really make the best-performing test. But I, I do want to say that with this big explosion of tests, we have to be a little skeptical about how any of them perform. I mean, they're being produced very quickly. There generally is kind of one layer of laboratory testing that gives them the ability to brag about its performance, but performance in the lab is always as good as it gets. And then we have to see how it does when you put it in the real world. Generally, the test performance erodes a little bit from that first set of results in the laboratory to when it's out in the community. And so all of us need to maintain this skepticism about our test results. And so people who come in and have this constellation of symptoms that's consistent with the COVID symptom complex. And maybe even they had contact with someone who was a known COVID positive patient. And then they, they get a test, some commercial test out there, and it's negative. I think all of us just have to know that that's not a absolute truth. And so what does that mean in this setting? It means that when we are sick, we should still isolate ourselves from other people, knowing that there is a chance that we could have COVID and that test just didn't detect it. I haven't even mentioned antibody testing yet. It looks to see whether you've had an immune response to COVID-19, meaning that you were sick with it before and now you are you have this immune protection against it. The issue with using antibody tests to know how that should direct your own behaviors is that we don't know what antibody levels mean. And so what we're finding is that people who had established COVID-19 have antibodies in their blood at very different levels. So some people have very low levels, some people have very high levels, and we don't know for sure what that means. Does having low levels mean that you have very little protection or none? Does having high levels necessarily confer immunity to getting it again? Natural immunity isn't something that can allow people to feel free from all the other public health measures that we're asking people to do. So it doesn't mean that you can not use a face mask or not do social distancing. It just means that you've been exposed to the disease. Across the board, there aren't things, whether it's resources or approaches, that have been a huge game changer. I mean, we've been overall disappointed with medications. The vaccine will take some time to develop, and even when we have it, there's a lot of questions about how quickly we'll be able to mass manufacture and distribute it. So overall, no big fireworks about great progress made. Nevertheless, we seem to be opening up. Uh, That seems interesting. I mean, here's a disease that we just started learning about in March and April that has kind of a long, indolent course, so it's hard to tell what's happening in real time, but we have decided to open in May. There's really no evidence of a national decline, state by state, many states that are still having an increase in cases or only a plateau are embracing reopening. And so while it seems a little bit head in the sand to move forward, I've come to terms with the fact that we are reopening in most U.S. states right now. I will say reopening means a lot of things. Uh, And so I was going out to get groceries today and driving by a lot of stores that had open signs and nobody in their stores. So i I think that it's one thing to say we're reopening, and it's another thing to actually make the public feel comfortable enough with the trajectory of disease in your community or the information they're getting from their public health officials or their elected leaders or the business community to know that they actually can go out with confidence. So I know we're seeing a lot of pictures of crowds of people everywhere, but I think that's a select sample that we're having people taking pictures of those things because they're remarkable, but actually most people are being cautious and trying to figure out where they can go, where they feel really safe. Um, And I'm guessing that people are mostly slowly reengaging with family and friends that they feel isolated from and that their desire to go out in public and just start hanging out with strangers is not that extreme. That's my guess. The other thing I would say is that we haven't really wrapped our minds around how important face mask wearing is. This is something that just bowls me over the obstinance of people in not wearing face masks. I mean, it is so easy. It costs maybe $5 or maybe nothing because it is something that you can manufacture from materials that you have at home, a handkerchief, a bandana literally a sock, a pillowcase, an old sheet can be used to make any sort of rudimentary face mask over the nose and the mouth. A simple face covering is all we're asking. And it's not even to demonstrate how fearful you are of disease because the primary function is to protect other people from you if you're an asymptomatic carrier. So I think the message we need to get across is that It is your responsibility to others. It is a gesture of goodwill that I care enough about you out there, particularly the most vulnerable, that I'm not going to give you my stuff. And who we have to think about is not just grandma and grandpa, who, by the way, we love. But we actually also have to think about kids because now there's this multi-system inflammatory state, this Kawasaki-like disease that is really frightening and is cropping up as a late onset manifestation of COVID. Truly one of the scariest things as a parent that I've read because it can affect the heart and actually put kids into heart failure or into cardiac arrest. So wearing a mask is simply saying, I care about my neighbor. I care about the elderly. I care about people with chronic diseases who may be immunosuppressed. I care about these little kids because I would never want a parent to go through the horror of having their kids go through this multi-organ system condition. It's simply not being a totally self-centered jerk. And I do think that a lot of people, potentially most people get this and are doing their best to remember their face coverings and to do all the other things that we've been instructed to do by our public health officials since the beginning of this thing washing our hands obsessively, staying away from other people when we're sick, avoiding large gatherings, being really vigilant about wiping down surfaces and disinfecting any space that we spend time in. I guess I'm just a little discouraged about how little face mask wearing that I've seen around my community this weekend and hoping that we don't get lulled into a false sense of security, especially when what's happening in hospitals can seem very far away. And also as we become numb to the sheer numbers. I mean, I feel like somehow when we hit 90,000 and as we approach 100,000 deaths from COVID-19, somehow that has less emotional impact than when we passed 20,000 and 30,000. It's stunning to see, but I truly think that we're, we've just become inured to announcements of death. And the challenge for those of us trying to communicate about this disease is how we keep people aware enough to remain vigilant without making people feel totally discouraged and fearful all the time. That communication and messaging piece is part of our learning curve with COVID-19. Hopefully in parallel with developing a vaccine and effective medications, we'll also get part at the public messaging piece so that in concert, all these measures will help save as many lives as possible. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and well.